It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com with Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley. I am Tim Priester. It is Monday, December 5th. We are back from last week with plenty to talk about. We have the Final Four chosen for the college football playoffs. Uh, it would appear that Brian Kelly is back for sure with with uh, Jack Swarbrick's comments from last week. Sure. Possibility of transfers and uh, staff rumors, basketball playing well. Where do you guys want to start? I think we should – where do you want to start? Basketball. <laughs> no. Um, Jack Swarbrick. Uh, yeah, it, for those who haven't read the site uh, or sort of listened to the podcast, I mean, it was an internal – media piece that uh, Jack Swarbrick put out with Jack Nolan basically tackled most of the questions that I think a journalist would have uh, of Swarbrick. But I mean, I I think the main take is that Swarbrick is adamant that Brian Kelly is coming back and feels like the program is actually in good shape, which is really runs counter to, I think most fan sentiment out there today. Um, I thought Swarbrick made, a bunch of good points just about how there are quite a few people who are dismissive of 2015 and 2012 because 2016 was so bad, which I get. Um, that's fine. But uh, I think sort of on its own merits, you have to look at Brian Kelly as a seven-year project, not a two-year project. I don't think that saying, well, we have to look at this as a two-year two year mm-hmm. project is, is any more representative yeah, then then four years yeah, or yeah. one year. It's look at the full seven years. You look at the full seven years, fifty-one and thirty-nine. I went through all Power Five teams. There are about sixty. There are sixty-five of them. Notre Dame is twentieth, and if being twentieth is okay, um, I guess if twentieth is not reason to write a ten million dollar plus check and blow up the whole project, that I can. I'll I'll get behind that. Um, but I think to sit there and say that everything is great and you know it's it's just not about wins and losses. Some of that I think was is going to irk uh, quite a bit of the fan base. I think the business as usual thing probably bothers people. But I, I will say this: the coaches are out recruiting right now. There's not going to be any staff movement in terms of probably, as Pete mentioned, until after the coaches' clinic in January in Nashville. No, I, I yeah, I I would say this going to come way before that. But I think you're definitely going to get through this weekend with the award show before. Yeah, and you, you know. have, and you're also getting. I think you're getting past. I don't think you hear an announcement about Notre Dame firing coach. No, until the next guy is hired. Right. So I, I think when Jack Swarbrick goes up there and says, you know, it's business as usual and everything's going on, it's not like he can talk about all the inner changes that are kind of starting to happen. Yeah, you and can't I can't bring that up. The business as usual quote I saw reference in a, a, a few headlines. I, that was not really the big takeaway from that for me. I think business as usual is while I'm sitting down and talking to Brian Kelly after the season, just like every other season, that makes sense. But I, I, I think people sort of took that and then it's it ends up in a headline and you think, well, wait, four and eight is business as usual. That's not really his point. <laughs> no, it's not. And 
you know, I hear what you're saying about, uh, you know, Jack Swarbrick saying that the program's in good shape. I mean, did he actually use that term? Yeah, I, he did. I, I don't and know I, if and he said I know, good shape, but okay. like, but I know a lot, where he's a lot of good from. things happening. Right, and I know where he's coming from there. He's not talking about four and eight and losing and that. He's talking about the foundation of the program. Yeah, the program, is, making, in, the program is in good shape, are his exact okay, words. Okay, all right. So he's talking about the foundation of the program that he himself, Jack Swarbrick, helped create. Right. Right? And so... So I understand where he's coming from there, but when people hear good shape and business as usual, there's going to be a negative reaction to the point where people want to people want to take out ads and billboards and Plus, things I think like that. People only wanted to hear one thing. It was going to be said. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> it wasn't, and it wasn't that. Well. It wasn't he didn't that. say that. Yeah. So I mean, I thought his defense of Brian Kelly was fine, um, but again, you're you're twentieth. You have the exact same record as Kansas State over the last seven years. I don't think you can just ignore that. Um, you're, you're, when you bring up Stanford, as Swarbrick did in the interview, I don't think Notre Dame is close to Stanford. Not even close. Um, Stanford has won, I think they're at 69. They've won 10 more games than Notre Dame over the last seven years. That, that's a huge number. That's um, they've won three major bowls and participated in five. Notre Dame has played in two and lost both. So... If you want to say that Stanford is proof that you can win while achieving high academics, that's great. It is proof. But I think then you need to be like, wait a minute, why aren't we doing that? Um, I think that's where Notre Dame really falls short right now. In terms of the questions, or at least one question that if I was talking to Jack Swarbrick, I would have asked that Jack Nolan didn't, and I understand why this didn't come up, is to get more into the recruiting aspect uh, and Brian Kelly's involvement of that because I think you look at Notre Dame's recruiting overall – and Swarwick would easily and smartly say, well, how are Stanford's classes ranked? Because they're much worse than ours. Um, but I do think that Notre Dame needs to have a better recruiting effort from the head coach than what they have right now. It's more of a CEO operation let the assistants do the job. I think Brian Kelly could, could be and should be more involved there. I, I would agree with that. And a couple other things that I thought were interesting, uh, you know, staff changes, Jack Swarbrick talked about the defensive coordinator. A lot of things will flow from that. So I think that's a, a good sign. If they go out and get a, a coordinator from outside, it sounds like they will allow him to bring in the people that he wants to bring in. I think that's a good thing. Another thing that he said that I thought was good was, yeah, it's harder to win, but it doesn't make any difference. He says it's harder to win in basketball. You know, he makes a direct correlation to, yeah. to what Mike Bray is doing with his program. So, um you know, those are all positive signs. The fact of the matter is you're still bringing back a coach that, that went 4-8. and eight. Um, But he talks about the 2015 season. And, it, you know, look, if you, don't have a, if you don't have an inadvertent face mask penalty against Isaac Rochelle at the end of the Stanford game, you're probably 11-1 and one, uh, last year, which makes it a really special year because you beat somebody good on the road. They haven't been, you know, I mean, it's so – it, Good wins, important yeah. wins, meaningful wins have been really hard to come by, but they didn't get that. They they lost that game. So, I mean, I, I it's he also said uh, there's no magic number for next year for Brian Kelly. Uh, and again, I understand from an administrator standpoint why he's saying that he's not going to go into a season and put a number on it like we tend to do. And yet, there probably has to be a a bare minimum, right, going well, into next year to some sure. extent. 
Uh, yeah, and I'm, Sorbrook is way too smart then to be yeah. like, uh, yes, he needs. I understand to go why he's not going. Fire. He's not going to put a yeah. number on it. Yeah, I understand nor, that, but. yeah, and nor should there be like even privately a number. Right. Um, he doesn't even need to have a number in his head. He's just like, well, this is how the season went, and I'm going to evaluate yeah. it in the season. I, I mean, I think it'd be interesting. Like, look, if they have a 2015 or a 2012, awesome, keep it going. If you have a 2013. That's nine and four, eight and four regular season. Probably, probably, that's okay. Um, probably. Well, it's the, what, but, it's but the what other normally, ones are not. I mean, it's what they normally are because the regular yeah. season. Look, he's three. Brian Kelly's three and three in bowl games, so we can throw that out right now because the regular season's kind of the, the judgment here. Right. In, yeah. in the bowl games, if you want to say why am I not counting the bowl games? First of all, it's a five hundred record, so you don't need to count it. Secondly, he lost. If you're ranking the bowl games, <clears throat> he lost one, two, and four. And one, three, five, and six in terms of importance. I'm giving the Music City Bowl a bump over the Florida State loss because they absolutely 100% had to win that game, and yeah. they somehow did. So he's usually lost his better bowl games. But if you take those games out, he is a 56-win coach over seven years, which is the definition of an eight-win regular season coach. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what you're looking at because, look, nine and four beating... Someone like Florida State in a bowl game, really I, cool. Beating I'm, Rutgers doesn't matter. I'm retracting 2013. For some reason, I thought they finished nine and three that year. Okay, no, and, and they were the first was like four, the yeah. garbage lot. No, no yeah, 20. Forget it. That's not good. So, no. so five out of the seven seasons. Yeah, I think five out of the seven enough. seasons yeah. would would precipitate a change. Um, let's real quickly. Let's address the, uh, the 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 playoff contenders. Alabama, of course, finishing first, are Clemson they second. They are in. Yeah, they just slipped in. Uh, Alabama won, Clemson and Ohio State flip-flopping because Clemson won the ACC and Ohio State didn't play. And then Washington holding serve with a convincing win over Colorado, leaving Penn State with two losses and Michigan with two losses sitting in the number five and six spots. This is the third year of the playoffs, correct? Third year. In my opinion, I think they've worked out pretty damn well all three years. You just explained why the playoffs. Work perfectly because the two teams that are in five and six that had good years have two losses. Exactly. The teams that had really good years in front of them had one. Look, loss. I know we give. I know we give <laughs> blue ribbon. I, I know we give blue ribbons to everybody that finishes second through a hundred and twentieth. But the fact of the matter is, there are four spots, and Penn State's number five, and Michigan's number six. And I personally, I agree with that. Look, when Notre Dame lost their second game last year, and they lost two games in the last second. No Notre Dame fan in the world thought, man, I can't believe we're not in over one loss Oklahoma. Yeah. I really felt like we should get in over them. No, you lost two, so you're not in. Everyone knew that. Yeah, I yeah. felt now that Pete I felt has like a, a different not, perspective. No, I was, just, no, I was gonna say like the discussion of like should Penn State be in, what about Michigan felt very like inauthentic to yeah. me. Like it felt like a national media be like, well, we have to talk about something and make this kind well, of hell, controversial. The last couple of weeks of the regular season, I, I heard arguments for USC being in. They lost three times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yes. look, if you're going to start talking about that, first of all, I don't want to hear about 18 playoff because then you're including all kind of two and three lost teams in the conversation. Who, who is number eight? Does anyone know? That I don't know. Pay attention? I, have, I don't know who it is, but Alabama 59, number eight zero. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's no sense so there's in even. No yeah. There's no sense in playing that. But if we look, if we're going to, if we're going to start disregarding losses, let's not even keep score. Let's play 12 60-minute games, and at the end of those 12 60-minute games, let's have a committee sit down and say, I think they're the best. They're the best. We don't have wins and losses to judge it by, but they're the best. They're the best. They're the best. They're the best. Those are the teams that are. I've gotten 
nine and four Notre Dame on that playoff. If I was on that committee right there. <laughs> eighth, eighth is Wisconsin, by the way. Yeah, fifty nine nothing. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I look. I, I thought they were fine. Uh, those four teams were fine. I don't know even know what the argument would be for Penn State or Michigan at this point. I liked. I like the precedent that it set for Notre Dame as well. Uh, because yeah, that's good. Ohio point. State won it as not only a conference non-champion, but they only played twelve games. So now the Big Twelve is saying, "Why do? We, why are we scheduling a championship game next year? We don't need it." Big Twelve. Run by because morons. you're a, yeah because you're because you're an inferior yeah. conference that's why now I think that you could look at Washington's schedule uh, I think they play Rutgers Portland State and Idaho maybe in their non-conference oh. they just got lucky they got yeah. lucky at twelve and one if there was another if I'm trying to think of what if there was another one loss that Washington team. would be out like so if Penn State. Had beaten Pittsburgh exactly, or which Michigan, would have been a quality yeah. win, or, or Michigan had or, not, yeah, or Michigan lost to Iowa. Iowa. Then Washington would be out, and yeah. I wouldn't have a problem with that either. Right, um, but so I think t- from Notre Dame perspective, the precedent is good. You don't that this mystical thirteenth game, like you have to play a thirteenth you know, game. Thing is, it if, doesn't matter if Washington schedules Missouri and uh, uh, NC Dame. State, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which they, well, they probably, they which they State. probably beat both, right? Yeah. Anyway, it's yes. not even a question. So Washington shouldn't be. Did they really think that they weren't a, that is? They made. They just didn't think they were going to be as good as they are. Well, I mean, they may have made these schedules when yeah, Tyrone Willingham was a coach. Well, that's true. You know, I don't know how. Or maybe they thought Rutgers was not. going to I don't be. know how they. Yeah, I mean, you got to sure assume three years out, right? Yeah, I guess just so. Just looking at another yeah. name, it's. Yeah, I mean, Chris Peterson tougher. might not even have been the coach at that point. I'm sure he wasn't yeah. actually. But, I've always, I never hear how I've all. I've only heard how Notre Dame schedules are constructed. Yeah. I don't hear how everyone else is. <laughs> yeah, or the, or sadly, the timetable. Sadly, Washington's schedule conference next year is at Rutgers. <laughs> Montana and Fresno State. They got a home and home with Rutgers. Huh? Yes, a home good. and home with Rutgers. It's a Big Ten They're team. They're a Big Ten team. <laughs> they are a Big Ten team. All sorts of coaches would point that out. Um, so, yeah, we like the playoff news in Notre Dame outside of Brian Kelly returning. Malik Zayer not, as we reported last week. Corey Holmes not over the weekend. John Montless as well, which I think we had referenced multiple times on the podcast. Holmes. And we had said this on last week's podcast, there will be at least tri- one transfer. You're like, oh, didn't see that coming. Yeah. Corey Holmes is, oh, didn't yep. see that coming. Now he's the eighth receiver on the team, so I don't think it's something I get too broken up about or it's not going to impact the offense next year. But, I mean, he did get a lot of time <laughs> he, at USC. He I was mean, targeted ten times yeah, last week. Yeah, a lot week. of fun with that one. Ten targets yeah, at tell USC. It, Tim. Yeah, I was doing the musings today. Yeah. Ten targets for Holmes at USC. He had previously been targeted ten times. In his, his career, career yeah. Notre Dame. So uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, if he had to sit down like every player does with Brian Kelly, I'm sure Brian Kelly and he, didn't promise him a and, starting job because there isn't one. Corey Holmes, is, Corey Holmes is quoted as saying, I believe it was the Southland Tribune, that you know he wants to be a number one receiver and he didn't see it happening in Notre Dame. Well, it's not. It, and I was, I mean, I was complimentary of Holmes. I thought he was making progress during the season when they did throw to him prior to the USC game. When they did throw to him, he made he made some yeah. some decent plays, some important plays. But you know, you're not it, it's it's not because Notre Dame is doing something wrong and not making you the number one target. You don't catch the football <laughs> consistently enough to be a number one at any school other than a lower echelon. If you want to go to a lower echelon right. school, I'm sure they can elevate you right away. 
He has two years of eligibility left. He has a, a sophomore redshirt in 2015, and he's going to graduate, so he has two years to play somewhere else right away. Good fit works out well yeah, for him. Yeah, I mean, if he ends up at USF or UCF, yeah. I think in the next two years, he'll have 100 catches. Over the two years, yeah. He's yeah, going to drop too many passes to have 100 catches. <laughs> I think Will Fuller dropped a few of them as well. Uh, Malik Zaire. And thus ends the Corey Holmes-Will Fuller yeah, comparison. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember, I mean, he was a guy when he came in, I, I don't know. Tim, you felt this way, but I, I watched the statement that I was like, like TJ Jones with a little bit of extra yeah. stuff happening. And I mean, but, you know, it we just don't, never happen. It's so hard. We've got a, a film review today, which I haven't had one in a while, but on Josh Paschal and how important he is Notre Dame. Look, we get snippets, you know. I try to study as much as I yeah. can, but I, I don't, I you know, I don't get a, I don't know how many passes Corey Holmes dropped in high school, but probably a fair share if, it, if it's continued. Yeah. Look at our highlight tape of Josh Pascal today. Everybody in the country is going to want him after watching yeah. that that tape. And he is good. He is a good player. Uh, Malik Zaire, I caught up with uh, his family last week. North Carolina and Pittsburgh likely to get visits this week. Michigan State still involved. Uh, and then Florida. The presumption around the family is that if he had his choice of all schools, it would be Florida. But the SEC is a little bit more complicated in terms of their fifth-year graduate transfer rule, Everett Colson kind of got caught up in that last year and ended up at Florida State in the ACC. But North Carolina would be really, really interesting. Um, he, for people that are like, North Carolina, what's the connection down there? Interestingly enough, Mitch Trubisky, their quarterback likely to go pro this week, is from Ohio and knows Zaire, actually won Mr. Football uh, in the state of Ohio when Zaire was there. So there, there is some connection there. Um, Mitch Trubisky was also picked off by Sean Crawford in high school. Um, Symmetry again. But if Trubisky goes pro, then uh, I think that would be a good landing spot for Zaire, uh, and he's going to visit this week to find out. And if that happens... You know we, he's playing against Notre Dame we next will, year, man. You just know it. In a home see, game, too. We will see Malik Zaire on Notre Dame's football schedule next year. It would be a lot more fun if it was in South Bend, but... Either one would be yeah. a road game, it seems. Yeah, it's That's interesting, because I think when people hear Michigan say, like, oh, I can't go to Michigan State, and then there's almost like a, they haven't quite looked at the schedule to see that North Carolina's on it. <laughs> um, man, that would be something to see. It's going to happen. You know, uh, he uh, Malik Zayer also said, I think I'm the best quarterback in the country. Okay. Well, it wasn't this year. Yeah. But uh, I, I would be, I, I really want to go to. North Carolina. I mean, State. okay, there's so no doubt about next, it. In my mind. Let, next year schedule. Let's let's get you open with Temple. Matt Rule, who I think we all look at as like, wow, that that's a really good head coach. Next, you got Jacob Eason, Apropos, no, Notre Dame legacy. Dad played for Lou Holtz. Later, you've got Chuck Martin. Game a few, five. A few weeks yeah. later, and that is immediately followed by Malik Zaire at North Carolina. <laughs> I mean, holy cow! In in a year where you have to win big. Man, there is a lot happening. There's a lot happening on that schedule next year. Uh, especially with Malik Sayer. Talk about the going. excitement. Man, there would be a lot of excitement. There would be a lot of excitement. Um, just to get back to Notre Dame in the bowl. They would they, have qualified. They would have qualified at 5-7 and seven based on their APR score this year. Um, so they really were one win away from getting a bowl invite. And if they... Because... Those bulls pick by APR. They don't really have a choice. Notre Dame actually would have ended up in the St. Pete Bowl, most likely, against Miami, Ohio, and Chuck Martin. 
Yeah, but on December 26th. You can't really be expected to beat Duke at home yes. to get into a bowl game. <laughs> it really tamped down the, the excitement about the Miami-Ohio meeting next year if they played in a bowl game Wow, that would year. be interesting because you see Chuck Martin this year. Yeah, that would be a, that would have been a lot of fun. But yes, they would have made it at 5-7 and seven this year, which I had said was highly unlikely, but turned out that it, uh, it worked out that way. Uh, coaching staff rumors, I guess we talked about that a little bit. Um, defensive coordinator... That's the domino, because yeah. if there's a new coordinator, there's a, a lot of changes, probably. And if there's not, there's probably just a couple tweaks. Right? Yeah, Sorbrick said no, whole, or probably not wholesale changes, but if the defense coordinator comes in and says, I'd like to do some wholesale changes, then they're going to do wholesale yeah. changes. Um, I don't know what that's going to mean for the defensive staff, but uh, you would think if, you know, if it's... I think Mike Elko is interesting for a lot of reasons, but one of them is just fit because he's more defensive back-focused. Maybe that helps Todd Light stay on staff moving forward as he sort of grows into the position and Notre Dame finds out what they have there. Maybe it helps Mike Elston stay there if he doesn't move over to tight end special teams type of role that He's way. He's on staff, though, next year, Mike Elston. Like, that's about as It's, ha- it's hard to imagine him not right. uh, Unless he took there. a job, unless he elevated himself. Right. right. Um, you know, it's in Mike Sanford will... Mike Sanford every year is going to have opportunities to leave Notre Dame if he wants to. I think this is an offseason where you could go to Brian Kelly and be like, look, I want to call plays. If I don't, if I can't round out my resume as a, as a future head coach that doing it here, then maybe I need to do it somewhere else. I'll be very curious to see what happens with him and, and his role. That has to be done. It has to be. Yeah, I, 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 think just, so. I just, yeah, I think we said this, I said this last week. I mean, if he walks out the door never having called plays for Notre Dame, and it's not that hard for Brian Kelly to make a change with his friend that they went four and eight with Mike Dembrock calling plays and Brian Kelly chiming in. So why not make the change? Yeah. It's not like you're, it's not like you say, "Hey, we went nine and four, and our offense averaged five hundred fifty yards a game." That didn't happen. Yeah, so. and, and you know a lot. You can attribute a lot of that to the defense, but the offense didn't come through when they had to in so many instances. So yeah. a, a potential staff reshuffling. I'm curious, you guys think about. So Scott Booker leaves as special teams tight ends. Mike Sanford becomes a true offensive coordinator calling the plays. Mike Dembrock absorbs tight ends at wide receiver. Right. Mike Elston, if the new defensive coordinator wants to just go, I have all my own guys, then give Elston special teams a recruiting coordinator. He was the special teams coordinator when he got here. Yeah. And he was the special teams coordinator for Cincinnati, so he's right. well-versed in it. Uh, he was kind of blamed for bad special teams at the beginning because of the just the ludicrous punt return situation. Yeah. But it was, uh, they were also doesn't very... Doesn't sound that bad now, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't sound that terrible. He used to fair catch punts. Yeah. But they were uh, they were really segmented back then, though. They, he he was called... That, that wasn't his real job title, special teams coordinator, but they he kind of was the guy. Every assistant Every, had a... Yeah, and it was really segmented. Like, I think Booker's more in charge of it yeah. than... than before, like Bob Diaco worked with just the punters, and Alfred was just the return man. It was a really strange way of doing things. Um, I remember El- Brian Kelly even said, you know, he's no longer the coordinator, but this is not a Mike Elson problem. This was all of us, and this just frees up Mike to do stuff. So I think he will go back to being special teams coordinator, actually. I, I think that would be a, a, a decent staff mix. And if it's not him, I read something, and I agree with somebody on our message board. You know who else could be the special teams coordinator? If, if he has his staff in place the way he wants it, it's Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly can be in charge of the special teams <coughs> all the way through August and be in charge of the special teams. He, he can I, I, be, Lou but Holtz he won't be. Lou Holtz was 100% in charge of his special teams. Lou Holtz, Brian Kelly. I'm just telling you that if you want to save your coaching career and you have Mike Sanford handling it and calling plays and you trust Mike Dembrock to be doing game plan... 
Who better than to so save your special teams? You're saying it's a good idea. No, I'm saying that it would I, be a good thing for him to do. He's the head coach, and he says no one wants to be on special teams. We have Sometimes it's like pulling teeth. This year it wasn't like pulling teeth. We changed the culture like around. Like Urban Meyer? Like Urban right. Meyer that, does. Like Urban Meyer does. It's not going to happen, Tim. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying it would be good. And every year we hear people want to be on special teams this year. Every single year. Now, two years after the fact, when he retroactively describes that special teams, that's when you get pulling teeth. So I don't buy that for a second. Um, Last year I think they wanted to be on it. It's either got to be Elston or somebody new from the outside, but I do think there's a way to have a dedicated special teams coach now next year. Denbrock has coached tight ends before. Um, the way they run the tight ends is not... You can split those guys between he stand right. and the receivers. Right. They're he um, stands guys as blockers. They're I think that would be totally fine. guys is in the in the slot. Yeah. So. so I think that's, there's a solution there to sort of create uh, a dedicated special teams coach if you really want to. Do Do we want to talk about basketball? Yeah, wait, well, they're playing can. the number one we're, team we're, in the country on Saturday. Notre Dame is playing the number one team in the country on Saturday. Villanova, gotta, defending national hey, champs. You got to get past Fort Wayne. Dude. They're still playing they, number they one are, Villanova. They're tricky. <laughs> no matter what, yeah, Fort Wayne. Well, for people that don't know, ever, Indiana. Yeah, Mike Bray and the four leaders of the team last night would uh, would not take the bait of me trying to get them to talk about the next three game segment, which is Fort Wayne that beat Indiana and Villanova, which now moves up to number one because Kentucky got beat. I think they only lost by five, but UCLA handled them. At Kentucky. And then Purdue the following, at Kentucky, yeah. And then Purdue the following Saturday. But none of them want to talk about that. Fort Wayne, Fort Wayne's a little a little tricky for them. Um, you know, I think we're going to know an, an awful lot more about this team over the next three games, which is going to span two weeks because you have final exams mixed in between Villanova and Purdue. No way they sweep these three games, right? I wouldn't think so. It'd be good to go. One, if you beat Villanova, you can lose to Purdue. It's not like football yeah. where you get dinged. If you beat, you're gonna, you'd probably be what twenty first when the poll comes out today for the first time they'll be ranked. Oh, yeah. Whatever, twenty second, we'll say. Time. You beat Villanova, you're number ten, number one Villanova, uh, and then I, you lose I, to Purdue, you drop. But one. if you saw Purdue play Louisville, you would, you obviously believe that Purdue's more people than. No, but I'm saying Villanova, if you beat but, Villanova in college basketball as an undefeated team, you get such a jump. Oh. In, in the polls, yeah, that it would be you could go ahead and lose. Well, your the next thing game. is, though, you beat Villanova, you got a week. You get a week, a full week to prepare for Purdue, so it gives you a chance to, you know, climb down off the emotions right. of that. And uh, but uh, you know, four win home, late game Tuesday night. We'll see, but we won't know really what we've got until uh, what they have until Villain. Did I just say we? Yeah. Until Villanova. <laughs> you Purdue. love your I don't hoops. ever say that. Yeah. I don't ever say that. <laughs> Well, regardless, we'll probably be talking about more Notre Dame hoops on uh, the podcast this year because they're a sort of surprising, interesting story with uh, the job Mike Bray is doing there and, and bringing guys along. So that's it for segment one on Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got a bunch of questions you might imagine in segment two, so all that next. Illustrated Insider, Segment 2, Burning Up the Boards, the first from TM Pollard. Based upon Pete's statistical analysis post on Sunday, are you surprised or disappointed there are 20-plus teams who have had a better run over these seven years of the Brian Kelly tenure? What are the biggest reasons for your answer? Well, I think one way you have to look at this is if you if you take out 4-8, and eight, like the total face plant of the season, I think Notre Dame would actually be 14th over a six-year span among Power 5 teams in winning 
And I think that's fine. Like, I think you would take that and be like, if you're Notre Dame, yeah, great. We'll take that. Um, that means we're going to have a couple seasons where things really bubbled up. And we're going to have some eight-win, nine-and-three type seasons. And, you know, we'll, t- we'll take that. Um, so I think that's okay. Because in the last, this year, Notre Dame fell behind due to the 4-8. and eight. They fell behind Auburn, A&M, Louisville, Nebraska. Um, Baylor was about even. They fell behind USC this year. Say they were about eight and four, they would have been around yeah. fifteen. 16. I mean, if they had been eight and four, they'd be they'd probably be fourteenth okay. um, again. Um, they actually, you know, I think they probably would have gotten past Baylor. They could have been thirteenth. So, just an average season, you're inside the top fifteen, just barely. And I think that's that's okay. I mean, I know that might like upset some fans who'd be like, "Oh, Notre Dame needs to be top five. Well, they're not. They need to be consistently top 10 before they can try to be top five. Because, I mean, you look at look, the top five. Alabama, over the last seven years, is averaging more than 12 wins a year. That That is just a mind-blowing win total for you. They have 85 wins in the last seven years. And then you've got Ohio State, Clemson, Florida State, and Oklahoma. I don't think Notre Dame is positioned to really uh, be in that group. Oregon actually is ahead of Oklahoma. They are trending down big time. So not if you take out their four and eight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then, then they're great. Um, so I, you, you look at where Notre Dame is right now, fifty nine and thirty one. Are they under Brian Kelly ever going to be in a situation where they would be seventy nine and thirteen over a seven year span? Absolutely not. That's that's where Ohio State is right now. But Michigan State is sixty-eight and twenty-five with a complete dog year this year. They were actually sixty-five and sixteen. Um, you know, over seven years, I think you need to be averaging nine wins a year. Yes. You know, be in this be in the sixty-four, sixty-five, you know, nine point two wins a year. And Notre Dame is they're not that far away from that, but after this year it certainly feels that way. I, I do, you know, we've talked about eight and five or five lost teams. I do think that's a demarcation. Nine and four and eight and five. If you're nine and four, you have more than twice. You have twice as many wins as losses. And it might be a three loss regular season, which is really good, right? Compared to a four loss right, regular right, season. Right, right, right. To me, that's that's the cutoff. And so what we've had, uh, there have been three seven out of five. seven. Seven and five, eight and four, twelve and zero. Oh. Yeah, three out of seven such seasons yep. is. Yeah, it's I not mean, enough. It's not it's, enough. It's not enough. It, it's, it's not enough. I think by any anybody's standards for Notre Dame, that's not enough. And I think even if you were to take, it's hard to factor in a four and eight, but even if you were to throw in one more where they're contended like last year, last year's yeah. a really good team. But let's say they just went ten and three following that twelve and one season. I mean, it would it would. It doesn't. It's one win, but you, you you if you're a contender three out of seven years and a true contender, mm-hmm. the one they were the number one team in the country. Mm-hmm. It's so much better than two out of seven yes. years. The, and the four and eight is just very hard to reconcile for fans, for me, for many people. Yeah. Four and eight was it's so out of character from what you could ever expect from a Notre Dame team that has anything. Well, when you consider okay, four and eight, you, you lost home games to Duke and Virginia Tech. Two and four at home. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you should be 4-2 and two at home. Or whether it's, yeah. you know, a bad Michigan State team, I guess, instead of Virginia Tech, which I was on their bandwagon all year. You lost to Texas and Navy away from your stadium. You, you can't do it. Yeah, you, you just lost can't all do it. Not a, not, yeah, if it was a 
If it was a nine and three Texas team, I understand, but it wasn't. Yeah, it, no. it's it's tough because we we have so much to cover with a nine month period of the Kelly era right now. And I started writing about this this morning. Do you take if you want to take two year samples as, as Pete said, you got to take a seven year sample, but. Don't you have to break that up a little too? Like I did a lot this morning on Monday Music. I just broke it in half to see where he's trending. You can, you can, where he's been since midway. It gives him a really good year last year. It takes away the twelve win year. It's hard to do a seven year sample because none of those players exist anymore. He didn't recruit, and I hate this argument, but none of the guys that went to. But you're going to use it. I am. I am. I am because they're all gone. I mean, like. Yeah. The twelve win team could not well, be more gone. Give from it this. Get, explain for everyone the the general downward trend that has occurred. Here. Yeah, it's if you just cut Brian Kelly's seven seasons in half, so it's ninety games. You look at it forty five. Okay, I threw out the bowl games because they're three and three in all the bowl games. The bowl games are incidental. You lost to a great team, you beat a bad team, whatever. Notre Dame was thirty one and twelve under Kelly in the first seven seasons, regular seasons. I mean, thumbs up. Then. 25 and 17. We're talking the first six games of the last six games. Yeah. So he always, not always, but he's 31 and 12 in the first six games, 25 and 17. So that's getting worse. If you divide it by months, roughly by months, so quarters, 19 and 9, the first four games, that's basically September, 21 and 7, middle four, basically October, 15 and 13 in November, over seven years. And that's after a 10 and 1 start. Yeah, the, the November collapses have been. Troubling. troubling because the goal is to get better. But that was my point of the first six versus last six. They're worse yeah. at, at, even at the middle six games. If you divide it exactly down the middle, he was 32 and 13, and he's 27 and 18 since. All these add up a little bit, including 28 true road games, 10 and 4, which is excellent. 4 and 10 since, which is really troubling because they have five true road games next year. Yeah. They have no neutral site games, and it does matter right. that they... I mean, he's, he's very good at neutral side games. They generally play. It's usually a bowl game or a bad team. But he's very good at neutral side games. And even home games, it's it's kind of a wash. He was 16-5 and five in his first 21 home games. He's 15-7 and seven since. Neither one of those are great. I guess you could take 16-5 and five and be 32-10 and 10 yeah. at home. That'd be, that would look a lot better. Yeah, it's just like, so, I mean, you look at the teams that Notre Dame is sort of in the peer group of, of 59-31, Nebraska, Auburn, Georgia, A&M, USC. Auburn seems better than they've all Dublin. fired a coach. Yeah, well. they've all fired a coach. USC has fired a couple. <laughs> um, so Notre Dame hasn't. Michigan is about to match them if they win their bowl game against Florida State. They fired a coach. Um, there's clearly these other programs have made pretty hard course correction changes, and, and Notre Dame has not. I'm not advocating that this is a re. Notre Dame should not do anything with Brian Kelly because Auburn did something right. with. Um, Gene Chizik, that's stupid. But just you look at the landscape right now. Um, there's the teams at the top who haven't figured out Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Florida State, Oklahoma, Stanford. Somehow Wisconsin has won 70 games in the last seven years with multiple coaches. That's It's okay to be stable up there. But if, if you're trying to knock into that group, the precedent is out there for other schools don't, that you make a change. Don't you think that, <clears throat> I mean, we didn't talk about this, but, and I, and I understand a lot of people want to change. Just fire them. They don't care really who the right alternative is. Just, just fire them. Don't you think that Jack Swarbrick studied the alternatives? Yes. And, and said, <laughs> and said, 
I, you know, we're not going to make this change. Now, I, I look at this as this year's alternatives are next year's alternatives. It's not Meyer, Harbaugh, Saban. It's, it's not. It wasn't Tom. Entire. It wasn't Tom Herman. He wasn't going right. to come to Notre Dame. Yeah, the only the only job out there where you're like a piece could be taken off the puzzle table now that you get bites you next year is Oregon, and I have no idea what Oregon is going to do. Um, I don't know if Oregon has any idea what Oregon is, but like Jack Swarbrick is incredibly smart. He's an attorney, and he wouldn't just go into the courtroom and be like, "I object to what." I don't know. I just wanted. I just wanted to object. Like I just wanted to right. fire this guy. Like you have to have a next move mapped out. You have to have. A and if you make that moves. call, if you make that call, you've made a minimum of a three year decision. Right. That's what I think. Though. And if yeah. you don't, you know, and, and so you're not happy with the alternatives that you see. You don't want to pull the trigger yes. and make a three year mistake. Whereas now, at worst. You're making a one-year mistake. Yeah, you'd be making a three. So you know, how much not at worse a one-year mistake. Well, Probably yeah. making a one-year mistake. You're you spent, might be accepting oh, at, mo- again. at most. Okay, okay. At most yeah, is yeah. what I mean. You're spending. You're making a one-year mistake. Yeah. yeah. At the expense, you can make a three-year mistake that costs you what twenty-five million dollars, or you can make a one-year mistake that costs you zero dollars in terms of coaching contract. Now. Revenue and fundraising and ticket sales, I get all that. That's those. It's hard to figure out what impact Brian Kelly is going to have coming back is going to have on that. It won't be a positive, but it's hard to really sort of quantify what the negative would be. Do you think he really wants to see more from his top two candidates? We we keep saying that rule and and McIntyre. I mean, <laughs> sure. Do you, is it something where he needs to see more from Matt Rule? Do you need to see more from Matt Rule? Well, you're, go- you're going to. Yeah, say. <laughs> you're going to <laughs> in the opener next year. Yeah. Um, they 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 beat the crap out of Navy on Saturday. That's a pretty good check in the plus column for Matt Rule. Um, and he did it. He lost his whole defense, and they won ten games again this year. Yeah, they lost they, Almighty Number Five Penn State by three. They were top six <laughs> in yards. Army in the opener. Top That's six crazy. in yards per play allowed. I think on the year with the other four. Playoff teams and Penn State. So I mean, the guy knows what he's doing. Um, that's what I. That's could kind you, of could where you roll the dice on him right now? That's yes. My point. Could you roll the dice right now on McIntyre? Yes. Now Matt Rule, you're going to learn a ton about him next year because he's not going to have a four year starting quarterback come back. That's that's a different kind of rebuild. Now he's already done the defensive rebuild and that's looked pretty good. But that's tougher at Temple to do a defensive rebuild too. Yeah, entire unit. Yeah, well, but uh, yeah, both those guys. It doesn't look like they're moving. I think that's good news for Notre Dame. Whether it works out for Brian Kelly and they go ten and two next year, or it doesn't, um, it's good to have options. Yeah. Okay, why is look, Matt Rule not moving then? That's what I don't get. Why is he not moving? That, that's because Oregon's to where. I, I, no, I don't year, know. Next year he could move. Yeah. Of Notre Dame. Oh yeah, and yeah. I mean at that point, look, you you just have to bite the bullet. Yeah. On Wouldn't that. Matt Rule look well? He turned out Missouri last year. Okay, so I guess wouldn't I, he look? Wouldn't he look attractive to Oregon? Maybe not because off, you know, their their identity is offense, and, and he's and they've struggled. Coat, and yeah. he's all East Coast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, right. McIntyre would though. Yeah, but you would think McIntyre would want to be like, okay, let's do this. I, w- I want one more year of something right. good here um, after this. You know, the depends on how much more, that he walked through. Depends on how much more money you're offered to go to Oregon. Yeah, then that's maintaining at Colorado. I mean, you would think easy. Colorado, look, Power 5 jobs kind of all pay the same unless you're Nick Saban. Everyone's but, making your 4 to $5 million a year, and if you have job security, that's probably worth more than rolling the dice on a total rebuild. And I don't know that everybody understands. My oldest brother lives in Eugene, Oregon. 
this is a that's a different world out there, man. That is a different world. So, you know, I mean, you see Oregon's success, mm-hmm. uh, but Eugene is not. I mean, I don't know what people think about South Bend, but Eugene, Oregon, is very, very different. The facilities are great. You know, all yeah. that is great. Um, and it's a you know it's a beautiful area to live. You got the ocean, you got the mountains. It's awesome. I've been there many times, but different a different kind of cat Boulder's <laughs> exists okay. out yeah, there. Boulder's not bad. So that's nice. Yeah, Boulder's not a place I think people are running to move out of. Yeah. So I think Mac, Mike McIntyre's. Let's just see how next year goes. So that was from TM Pollard's right. question about your statistical analysis. We yeah, into right there. It's really. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Did you want to know how Colorado is over the last seven years? Because they're twenty nine. Should we go on to the next question? <laughs> <Well>. Sure. <laughs> go ahead, Tim. Irish Irish Eye was tailgating. In retrospect, given the talent on the two thousand sixteen roster and the relatively weak schedule, what should Notre Dame's record? Have okay, that's what that's what gets me back to. I, I was ahead of myself a little bit here. I mean, I. I Eight and four. I, I I don't think eight and four was unreasonable. I predicted nine and three. I've kind of said that I was leaning towards eight and four. I don't know if I ever really said that. You did. You Back said to us the, at least. Okay. I can vouch for you. You were a game below Pete and I when you were doing your thing the whole yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, back in the day of the old uh, hundred hunches, I would have, I would have, cl- I clearly would have stated I'm leaning more towards eight and four than than better, but. I could Thank vouch for God you. we you don't, don't have those anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we've talked about this in the preseason. You know, how would we view nine? I think nine and three was sort of like a push. If you had an over under win total and the over under was right. set at nine, and you bet nine, you wouldn't win any money. Obviously, you would have <laughs> lost. But I, I do think nine and three would have felt like okay, that's okay, okay plus. Um, it is interesting looking at Brian Kelly's seven years here. They've never had a nine and three regular season, but this felt like this should have been the first one. Yeah, you know, if you look at the schedule, they played one team better than them, and you at you and it's at USC. They played Virginia Tech, Stanford, Navy. I'll just say Virginia Tech and Stanford kind of peers, right? Virginia Tech, Stanford. Sure. Navy's a very good team that could be hard to beat. So Navy is next in that line. Um, I know Michigan, and then I think after that, you don't have anything. Uh, you do have road games. The Texas road game was not an easy situation to go into. No, it wasn't. Um, NC State was a toss-up because of the weather. Michigan, I, saw, I feel like I'm making excuses, but I'm not really. Michigan State was certainly better at that point than they ended up being. Um, doesn't mean you should have given up 36 <laughs> consecutive points and lost, but, yeah, I mean, they didn't, did you leave that game thinking, man, Michigan State's probably going to win about three or four games this season. It didn't seem like no, that at all, no. of course. Michigan State only has one more win yeah, in it. Exactly. <laughs> but, so, you know, if you're looking that over, one team definitely better than you, and it's on the road. And you went 4-8. and eight. And you went 4-8. and eight. And there's some wins, and there's some games you could not have lost, and you know what? You lost one of them. Nevada, Duke, Syracuse, and Army. You couldn't physically lose the game, <laughs> and you lost one. <laughs> so that's bad too. And then, as I said, it's they got to clear up this road thing, man. I mean, three and two on the road last year was considered great versus zero and three and zero and three bookending it. It's just they got to be able to win on the road in these with five road games coming up. So they should have been better than. I mean, eight and four is a great call, I think. At least eight and four, right? They, they should have been yeah. at least eight and four. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying like they should have been at least, but you could still be disappointed yeah. if they were. Yes, right. Yes, but you'd be like, yes. Well, okay, fine, eight and four. I guess. Yeah, this kind of soul. We wouldn't be having these 
Jack Swarward wouldn't be doing a, a podcast no. defending Brian Kelly <laughs> after an 84 season. Uh, next up, ZC727. Hey guys, I'm trying to get excited for next season, but I just don't see how a 4-win team turns into a 9 or a 10-win team. Is it unrealistic to expect 9-plus wins, or do you see that as a real possibility? How many teams was it, Pete? For Notre Dame, the one... Uh, I think it was like two. Five more games. But there are, there are so few... So four more games There's so sense. few yeah. seven loss or more teams right, right. Um, that there just have not been opportunities for that to happen. Yeah, Charlie Weiss's 2018 won four more games without blinking. Yeah. Uh, so I think had they won six more games, that would have been a really good year. It's more... It's, that's a it's a off-season project for me is to go through, you know, the last few years to see how many Power 5 teams actually did that. Um, you know, go three and nine all the way up to... Eight and four, or take four and eight and go. Yeah, yeah every five. There aren't that many, but Nordin won ten games last year, so I think it's a. They're a different. Excuse me, a different program. They're not. They're not a team that. Yeah, they're not a team that that hardly ever loses seven or eight games in a season. I don't know. Use your imagination a little bit. You lost by three to Texas. Michigan State by eight. Duke Whoa, by three. Whoa, they just hired Dave Aranda. <laughs> NC State by seven. Stanford by seven. Navy by one. Virginia Tech by three. Have one more scoring drive and eliminate one more scoring drive by the opponent. I, I don't. I don't. God damn! I sounding like I'm sounding, sounding, sounding like Brian Kelly or a head coach now that loses a lot of you've been, close games. Tim, but, you've been podcasting for the last twenty seven years. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean they're not. Score wise, they're not that that far away. Fundamentally, technique wise, et cetera, et cetera, maybe they're further away. We have no idea how a schedule is going to play out twelve months in advance, but the dynamics of a five true road game schedule, yeah, more, yeah. a lot more difficult than the last I, than the last year was. That's past I agree. This year, I'm just the te- you, just the name of the teams. I think are so a Miami, lot more difficult. Miami of all, if what if Mike Elko doesn't leave Wake Forest for Notre Dame? Um, Mike Wake, Wake Forest might well I guess they might not have Mike Elko but you would think if he's leaving for a higher job that Nordy would be high on his list of what places are they get, to go right what's the record going to be after the first four games I'm telling you right now look at this you have Temple which <laughs> you you literally cannot lose to Matt Rule if you're Brian Kelly right now at home to start the season you it wouldn't it wouldn't matter it. who they were playing that I guess would apply you're right. but it really <laughs> applies in this situation they have four losable they do first four games which mm-hmm. never happens to any program it's because temple trended up they probably won't lose at dc but i mean that's when that's your easiest game it's at it's a road game against a defense that's always good i know and then Chuck, well, I don't know what Chuck Martin has coming back. Well, you got Michigan State in there. You got to Yeah, you got, well, that's you the gotta, fourth. Okay, that's yeah, the fourth. You go to Michigan State. Your, your next four games are Chuck Martin and Malik Sire. We decided uh, at North Carolina, but it's a true road game. I mean, literally, NC State and Wake Forest at home are the best looking games on this, and they're not terrible. Well, they, if they lose to NC State and South, yeah, then I can go ahead and tell you what's going to happen mm-hmm. at the end of that year. But I mean, five road games. And they don't have easy as easy games as they had last year. There's no Army. There's no Nevada. I am of Ohio is your worst opponent. Now, they might have... I, I didn't follow them enough to know if they're losing. Their quarterback's but, coming back. Well... Breathing. He's looking at breathing, too. Huh? And what are, the last, what are the last four games? Uh, home against Wake Forest at Miami, yeah, Miami. Senior day against Navy, which should be a real treat. And uh, <laughs> Stanford at Stanford. Senior day against Holy Navy. Who smokes. made that schedule? Senior day against Navy. Oh, I can... Oh, gosh. 
Like that's just the wrong team to play right there. But, but they, the Navy loses Will Worth, so that's right. <laughs> after losing Tiger Smith, after, <laughs> after losing, losing Keenan Reynolds. Reynolds. So that's a rough schedule next year. So do I think they would win nine games? I think it's hard to win nine games. Um, but we could put Brian Kelly's uh, kind of theory to the test where he kind of felt like they got off to a better start this past year. This was in retrospect, too. This was two months in when I asked him. He couldn't have seen this coming. I think they were two and five. He did. He said, or he had an answer, that had we, he knew they could be in trouble if they lost early because they didn't have enough confidence and he thought they needed to build it. So maybe if you start 2-0, and you're not so worried about going to BC. Because if you're 1-1 one one going to BC after two home games, it's a little bit scary. It's just it's going to be a very difficult schedule to manage in terms of, like, he uses the term outside noise, but that is going to be freaking real next year. Because yeah. as soon as, if that first loss hits and we're not in before... October, everything from there on out is like, okay, is that the one? Is this the week? Okay, they got, but but is next week the week where you just wonder that that's just going to be a real challenge, I think, for the program to manage the expectations of like, is this coach coming back or like, is this is this the loss that sends it over the edge? Three of the first five rounds are true road games. Sorry, three of the first man. Six. That's no, five. Tough. The first. Oh. Uh, let's go with. The answer is no. Buffalo Irish one. What is your projected starting lineup on defense next year? I think a, I think much depends upon. I mean, if if Mike Elko is your coordinator, it's a three four. If Bo Pelini is your defensive, let's coordinator, say it's Mike Elston for this one. Let's say it's Mike Elston's the defensive coordinator for uh, well, the same defense. for this answer. And you, let's bring Daniel Cage back. I would say Cage and Tillery. Um, I'd probably bump Hayes over to where Rochelle is. Which I Jay. guess is kind of where he yep. was the Jay second Hayes. half of the season. Yeah, Jay Hayes. Dalen Hayes starts at the opposite mm-hmm. side. So you have Bonner. Competing with Trombetti. And you have yeah. Bonner and Trombetti as your two best reserves. So. I have uh, with Ka- uh, Khalid Kareem. Coney okay. yep. and Morgan are your inside linebackers. Martinez your outside linebacker. Yeah, I think that's a gimme. Tranquil and Studstill are your starting safeties. And then Love and Pride slash Vaughn, depending on the matchup. For your corners. I, I think mean, Crawf- Crawf- Crawford also. I say yeah, he's not quite back to start. Was it start of the year? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm curious to see where. I mean, end of the year. Crawford probably. is physically. Uh, Achilles is rough, you know. It is, but I mean, everybody's oh, everybody's yeah, different. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> that's a that's a smaller athlete. I think that's that's easier to come back from. I, I don't know. In this day, in this I mean, day and age, I, I expect so. everybody. I, so. I know, but I mean, in this day and age, I expect everybody to bounce back. Those would be the more two biggest, quickly than they used to. Those are the two yeah. biggest gamers. You That's can a have rough corner. one, though. I mean, Love ACL it. used to be, and it still is, of course. But guys are kind of look at Tranquil how he came back from ACL. Two he, of them. He played with one somehow. It's <laughs> it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, I mean, I you would, don't hear Achilles much, so you don't know. I would actually go Jalen Elliott over over uh, Devin Sudstill. Hmm. Okay, that's my only tweak to that whole. Uh, in, the, in the current scheme, you know, we it's hard to speculate what it's what it would be if it's a different scheme, but that's. Yeah. That would be my one tweak to that one. Terry Benedict, how many Notre Dame players will get drafted this year? Your annual uh, uh, conversation. Yeah, and I and I am I am set to speak with Greg, Greg Gabriel on Tuesday. Uh, if you go back to October twenty first, when we did our first in, installment of the uh, the draft during the bye week. Um, you know, Deshaun Kaiser obviously is 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 an early pick, the first pick. Among among Notre Dame players, yeah. among Notre Dame players, 
you know, then it, then it gets then a lot of it's going to come down to all star games and how you show and who the comes out combine. Well, I, I mean, we know Isaac Rochelle, Jerron Jones, James Onwalu, um, Cole Luke are in there. Those are those are definite um, you know guys that are out of eligibility. Quentin Nelson does yeah. he come out? Yeah, um, I mean, I think there's more of a higher likelihood of that than than people would would realize. I'm not saying that it's likely, but. I just don't think that's a slam dunk that he comes back, and I think we've sort of been treating it as like, well, of yeah, course he would come back. Yeah, um, I'm just not so sure that's the case. And that's a that's the first. If he comes out, he's a first round draft pick because that's why he's coming out too as a true junior. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, that you, you come back otherwise. Yeah. Tory Hunter, we where I don't we think that he's not going to pursue football. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it was interesting to hear the Hunter Fulston. Because when Notre Dame came out and said, basically, all right, these guys have been granted their release to go elsewhere, I kind of expected Fulston to be one of those guys, just you know, go somewhere that runs the ball a little bit more. Uh, the fact that he's not doesn't necessarily make me think that he's coming back, although maybe he will. The banquet, you might have a chance to talk to him yeah, on Friday night. that could be a possibility. I think he has to win an award, right? Yeah, um, so I don't know about that. But it's I don't know where those guys go. Um but I, I would tend to think that Hunter may just move on and do something else based on what C.J. Sanders indicated on social media, that, hey, it's been great playing with you. I really enjoyed it. Um, but Fulston is I'm much more curious about that. So, one. I mean, to summarize, I, I, Kaiser is is certainly a potential first-round pick. I wouldn't think any later than early second round after that. Rochelle's the next pick. Yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> you know, what round? I mean, we're... we're Third round. We're, <sighs> solid, Man. solid player. Ooh. Romeo Okara really was good. undrafted free agent. Yeah, but that's that's different position. I like I like Isaac Rochelle going to the NFL. Man, and I would be I would be surprised end. if you got that early. Okay, well now you're hedging your bet. Yeah, I'll drop down. <laughs> I'll drop I'll drop down to fourth round. I just but you know, I mean, I think somebody picks Teron Jones just because. Yeah, I think so body. Although if yes. he goes to, yeah. he won't run at the combine. He won't yeah, run. He probably won't interview. Great. I, I he's don't. A team yeah. and he's really intelligent. He could interview. No, well I'm in not that saying. Way. But I'm that. saying that will help you interview sometimes. You know. Yeah, I guess. Anwalu is probably the is is really great. intriguing. It doesn't uh, matter where he gets drafted because he, if he wants to, has ten years of special uh, teams. Yeah. In the NFL, yeah. And Gabriel it's, talks about the combination safety slash outside linebacker. I like the outside linebacker he, part. No, of that. no, it's yeah. a hybrid position. Oh, yeah. What he's saying is a guy that plays outside linebacker that's more. Safety size, which is kind of in his realm there. I wonder what Cole Luke will run. Probably not, not well. And and as Gabriel always says, it's a stopwatch driven position. And I don't expect him to run in the four fours. Yeah, so he won't. He won't run in the four fours. Will certainly be a, a very large backtrack from last year's seven yeah. draft picks and all seven. Of them it was going a busy in draft in the four round day and, and leading up was to it. Two it years last ago, year. that Pete volunteered to cover the draft if we would do last year's so yeah. the, the Koyak draft. I got this one. I got, I got this draft. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I, I got roped into covering the last day of the draft, waiting for Farley and Oquara. I was like, I cannot believe I spent an entire day on this. All right, we've got Irish Bob. What is your take on social media funding billboards or newspaper ads to vent their frustration over Brian Kelly? I mean, nothing says get with the times more than a newspaper ad. So there, that's my thought on that. I mean, what are you doing? What's the point? Seriously? That's that's going to do something? Hey, I'm mad. All right. 
Thanks for being mad. You know, there's a lot of people mad. We just, out there. Had, we just had the most contentious, vicious presidential <laughs> election in the history of our country. We're boycotting. We're, I mean, we're in that we're in what, that mode now. What's the point? Uh, I don't want I don't want to say anything further because I'm going to offend people. <laughs> I think as O'Malley has has pointed out and written the the opposite of love is not hate it's an indifference and this is this is clearly hate this is Notre Dame as Jack Swarbrick noted in his podcast was like hey look we appreciate the passion <clears throat> and they do what would really bother Notre Dame is if you stopped going to games right. or turned off the TV or stopped giving money like that would be more of an issue. The fact that you're fired up and want to put a billboard up or take an ad out in the Observer, like that's not really going to. By, do all by no means am I a bleeding heart liberal, but give your money to somebody that needs it. I went into a Seven Eleven yesterday, and <laughs> the woman there is losing her job because they're closing the Seven Eleven. How often does Seven Elevens close? Yeah, where is which one? Uh, by Podcast people really want to know this. Yeah, right right St. Matt's on <laughs> yeah, Miami okay, yeah. Street. Oh, man, and, that's been there yeah, forever. Yeah, I know. Like ever. Uh, I went to St. Matt's, you know. I Sandra. Sandra at uh, the Seven Eleven on Miami Street in South Bend would could really use your money more than you know the billboard and the ad in the South Bend Tribune. All right, last question from Irish Mike. He wants to know what's the latest with Notre Dame recruiting now that official visits and in-home visits are happening. And it's just to wrap up on big that. weekend coming up here. Yeah, big weekend coming up, and I think the day after our last podcast was when Pete Werner decommitted. Uh, that was a bit of a blow for Notre Dame. They really liked him a lot. Um, linebacker out of Cathedral High School. I mean, it's tough when you lose guys from Catholic schools in Indiana. That's that's that should be a firewall for Notre Dame. There's a lot what's going that, on. When I forgot. What's about the that. truth behind the? As somebody with bad hips, what's the truth behind that? His I don't hip know. Situation. Um, all I can tell you is that Notre Dame really wanted him. Um, whatever. He's good. Yeah, they liked him a lot. <laughs> hips. No hips, whatever. <laughs> yeah, he, was a, he was a take. Um, but no he, defense, 2017. No hips, hips or no hips. Um, visited Ohio State for the Michigan game, came back, told Notre Dame he wanted to then do an official visit to Ohio State later. At that point, Notre Dame was like, okay, so you're not really committed. He's like, I'm not. Um, so he's off the board. A guy that is new to the board is Antoine Simmons, who was a linebacker who was committed to Ohio State, is now looking around. Notre Dame already has done an in-home visit with him via Keith Gilmore. I would expect him to get to South Bend sometime very soon. Um, and I think that would be, in some ways, a a like-for-like replacement uh, for them. But in terms of Notre Dame's linebacker board without Warner, I'm told they're not going to make sort of plan B offers or really dip down the board there. Um, Good. They Good. like they Don't like the that. two that they have, and they feel like they have a lot of guys that can they can move to the position if they need to. I think Spencer Perry and DJ Morgan would yeah. be pretty high up that list. So mm-hmm. overall, I think Notre Dame feels like it can live without Pete Warner. But that's not to say they didn't want him in the class. They like him a lot. <laughs> he's a good he's a good football player. But they're in a pretty good position with their linebackers, and their linebackers were good this year, and they'll be good next year, even better. Yeah, and I mean that sort of you spin it forward to this weekend's the Echoes Award Show. Josh Pascal is is the guy, um, defensive end out of Maryland. We had him uh, highlighted in our insider report last week. I caught up with his head coach there, Pascal. Is he said described him in similar terms to Sam Mustafer in terms of personality. Um, just has his just has his stuff together. Uh, really nice, respectful kid. Um, would be a good fit at Notre Dame. Sort of Oklahoma feels good about their position there. Ohio State's hanging around. 
Uh, I'm not sure how much of a His push. brother went to Kentucky. Yeah, I would be surprised. I, no, I understand that. Maryland's in that, too. I did do a film review on yep. him today, and I think he's a guy that, um, you know, I, I list him as a tweener. Usually when I say a tweener, that's kind of that's a negative thing. Mm-hmm. But I, but I, in this instance, I don't think it is because he's, you know, he's listed at 6'4", but he's also listed at 6'2 and a half, and he looks, you know, to be that size. So he's tough enough and quick enough and strong enough I could see him as a three technique, but I also think that he rushes the passer well enough to be a good college strong side defensive end with more pass rush ability yeah. than Rochelle. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's what you're hoping mm-hmm. there is like he can be a little bit better version of Isaac Rochelle in terms of quickness off the edge. I think one thing that about his skill set that I really like, one's a basketball player, yeah, uh, and they play him at wide receiver in the red zone. Yeah. Um, that's usually a good sign He's, about how quick your feet are. He is tough, and his get-off is outstanding. Yeah. Uh, he competed at the opening over the summer, so he's that level of prospect. Uh, that's good. Uh, Notre Dame's going to have a few more other guys coming in this weekend. I have Oliver Martin, a receiver from Iowa, is coming in. Uh, and then basically almost the entire commitment class will be there, too. So overall, Notre Dame's sitting there at 17 prospects. Originally, uh, they hope to get into the low twenties. I think that's pretty unrealistic now. If they could, if they could get to twenty, but not dip down their board more than um, more than they were comfortable with, I think they would take that. Because you look at their numbers overall, even if you subtract Holmes, Zaire, Montalus, and then make some hard cuts with like a project a Kaiser to leave, uh, maybe even a Nelson or Hunters. A Holmes, I mean, or, Hunters uh, yeah, Hunters. Um, it's not like they have a ton of room. So if they can get 20 quality guys, I think they would consider that to be a really good class. Get to 88. It's a goal, right? Yeah. Post-signing day. Be three over on signing day every year. A healthy place to be. All right. Well, that's it for this week's edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back on December 12th, Monday, uh, to wrap the echoes, to wrap any potential coaching changes, and obviously recruiting moves as inevitably something will happen tomorrow after this podcast is posted. So until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, I'm Pete Sampson, and thanks for listening.